You're listening to Seattle Grove Podcast, available free on iTunes. I'm Jeff Schulman, a professor at UW's Foster School of Business, and it is my pleasure to welcome you back to a sixth season of Seattle Growth Podcast. Throughout five previous seasons of Seattle Growth Podcast, we've explored the far-reaching impacts of Seattle's rapid transformation. We've devoted full seasons to the physical and cultural transformation underway, to what a return of the NBA supersonics would mean to our changing community, to the past, present, and future of Seattle's music scene, and most recently, to a crisis affecting everyone connected to Seattle, homelessness. The podcast all started with a curiosity about how growth is affecting our schools, our hospitals, our first responders, our transportation network, and our people of diverse backgrounds. It has since grown into an award-winning podcast that deep dives into the cultural, political, economic, and physical landscapes of our changing city. This season of Seattle Growth Podcast focuses on finding community in a dynamic city. If you are new here, you might be looking for a foothold in your adopted community. If you've been here for years, you might be looking for a renewed sense of belonging as buildings, businesses, and people change all around you. This season is going to spotlight some of the interesting people in Seattle who are building community and bringing people together. You'll hear from leaders in tech, comedy, music, art, dance, and even emergency preparation. If you are looking for a community that's right for you, you just might find it on this season of Seattle Growth Podcast. And if you are looking to build your own community, you will hear valuable lessons of how to start and nurture a group. Whether you've lived here your whole life or are just joining us in this fine city, you will learn about Seattle, how it was, how it is changing, and where it is going. In this first episode of Seattle Growth Podcast, I sit down with Brett Green and Red Russack, who started a tech meetup that has become the fastest growing monthly event group in meetup history. The conversation with the founders of New Tech Seattle about tech and Seattle's culture takes a surprising turn that you won't want to miss. I also sit down with Jane Richlowski, a painter, educator, cultural space advocate, and accidental real estate developer. She's pioneered a fascinating artist-developer real estate venture that is building community in Pioneer Square. Before we get to these interviews, I want to invite you to the red carpet premiere of On the Brink on Sunday, June 9th. If you like Seattle Growth Podcast, you will love this cinematic story of history, hope, and determination. Archival images, music, and interviews tell a story of the past, present, and potential future of Seattle's Central District. Visit www.onthebrinkmovie.com and click on the screenings tab to get tickets. That's www.onthebrinkmovie.com and click on screenings. Now, to explore how to find or build community in a dynamic city, join me as I sit down with Red Russack and Brett Green of New Tech Seattle. I am here with Red Russack and Brett Green of the New Tech, I want to say New Tech Seattle because that's when I knew you, but New Tech Northwest, you're ever expanding. Brett, Red, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us. All right. So uh, I want to know first what brought you to the Pacific Northwest, what brought you to the Seattle area? I'm going to start with Brett. Well, you could start with Red because his mother brought him yeah, there because yeah. he's born and raised, aren't you? I mean, I would say both of my parents get credit well, for that that's one. True. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> how it works, but mom does a little yeah. more work. Though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm thinking I'm one of the rare Seattleites. Seattle yeah. native. Third generation Seattle native, yeah. And, and then Brett, what brought you here? I came here from Boulder, Colorado. I'd lived there for quite a while and I'm more of a water person. And my wife and I met in Colorado, but she was born here. So when she brought up Seattle, I'd been here in my first career in the music industry. I came here quite a bit and uh, loved it. So made sense. And when, when was this? Worked. October 2013. And when I realized I was going to move, I put on Facebook that I was going to move and just ask to meet cool people personally or professionally if anyone knew anyone. There was a woman from Seattle who had come out to Boulder like once a month. She just liked it out there, and she was, you know, connecting in the startup scene is like 2000, 
2010 or something. The startup scene there started about 2006. And it was very community oriented. So it was easy to just say, hey, can I meet you for coffee? And people say, sure. So she connected me to a guy who did hackathons for AT&T. And I told him I was moving. I mentioned I wanted to, I was going to bring new tech. I sat in the audience of new tech in Colorado. And that's where I kind of had the idea to bring it to just not just come and take a job, but give back to the community too and build something with the community. And that person connected me to Red and Rebecca Lovell and basically said, if you know these two people, you're set. And Red is pretty much the concierge of Seattle startup. And he was right. And when I mentioned to Red that I was bringing new tech, he said, oh, I've, it was originally started in New York. And he said, I've been to the one in, tell me if I did this wrong, but no, that's, that's good. I believe he said, it was a while ago. Um, I believe he said, I've been to the one in New York and it was awesome. I'm squatting on the name on Meetup and I don't know what to do. And I said, great, because I think I know what to do and you know the people. So let's do this. So you came here in 2013 with an eye on bringing an established new tech meetup uh, that was established already in Colorado and, and previously in New York, and you wanted to bring that same excitement here to Seattle. Is that correct then? Yes. I was shocked nobody had done it. At the time when I brought it here, it had already been in San Francisco for 11 years. Okay. So it kind of blew my mind that nobody had done it. And, well, and go ahead. to be fair, the, the, Seattle had um, an ecosystem far before yes. we were part of it. You know, in 2004, 2005, 2006, they, they had Seattle Tech meetups. Uh, Chuck and Garof, right, these, the names go together like Ben and Jerry. Uh, they, they, they created that initial event. Uh, there was records like archives of it existing when Seattle 2.0, uh, the company that was acquired by GeekWire before GeekWire became a thing in Seattle, uh, they, they were there promoting those events back in the day, but it just stopped happening. Um, when I showed up to Seattle, I thought, well, did I do something wrong? I don't know. It was weird timing, but, uh, I, I just couldn't wait any longer. I was like, what's going on here? There's, there's a meetup for everything. Literally, I had a chicken waffles meetup. I had a scotch meetup. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was, there was a meetup for everything, but there just wasn't one general. If you're in tech, just come, come to this meetup. That's your front door to the community. Nothing. It was crazy. So we're going to talk about New Tech Seattle and its evolution from your brainchild to, to bring that here and, and, and your collaboration to what it is today, which is now New Tech Northwest, spanning multiple cities here in the region. But first, I want to hear, so you've been here since 2013, Brett. What changes in Seattle have you found most striking? Oh, geez. <laughs> in the last three years? I, I won't go down a rabbit hole, but in, in my... six years, right? Yeah, six years. Yeah. But I, I feel like <laughs> Seattle hit a tipping point in 2016. It's my understanding, which is you know somewhat limited, um, is that pretty much most companies that have an engineering division, if they didn't move to Seattle, they open an outpost. And that was kind of the tipping point, which for me, to be honest, I've, I've had, I've wrestled with a lot of sadness since then. <laughs> Um, you know, my wife grew up here, so she's like, you don't even know, like in the nineties, what you missed. And I, I came here in the nineties when I would work for record labels and, um, I would come here with bands and, um, for shows and do things with, uh, the end radio station and stuff. So I had a little idea, but, uh, it just felt like some of the culture shifted and, and, you know, the arts and harder for people to live here. And, um, what I loved about Seattle when I came here was the dolphin tank. That's for me. I, I grew up in Las Vegas, which I could not stand. Um, well, I didn't like the culture. I shouldn't say that. Las Vegas was very good to me. Obviously, you know, it helped get me a career in the music business. But um, but culturally, it was a new city that was only built in the 50s. And I longed for really collaborative people in a city with great culture and arts and I love the weather in Seattle. And um, what's the dolphin tank? Yeah, what is that? Well, I, I made. I guess that's what came up in my head because we always hear about the Shark Tank. And when I one of the times right before I when I decided I was going to move here and I had come here a couple of times for some job interviews, I got on a plane from Denver, and from the time the plane landed to the time it taxied and opened the door, I saw four random acts of kindness, and I was mm. like, those people aren't from Denver. Because that's just not that there aren't nice people in Denver, but that's not something you see commonly. And that was my first experience in Seattle. And even when I reached out about coming here, Delphine and yeah. someone who I kind Gentle. of know, who yeah. I you know 
had coffee with one time in Boulder. She connected me to a guy who didn't know me. He's like, oh, I'll get on Skype with you for an hour and talk. And he's like, oh, you need to talk to these two people. They both got on Skype with me for an hour to talk. And they were just community people that were cool. Okay. You know, there was, it was not anybody trying to get something from somebody else. It was people creating cool stuff together. And I think the term needs to to be rethought though. Well, I don't, (laughs) I'm picturing a show where everyone gets money. You know, hey, you get your idea. You get money. Well, you just the dolphin money. thing. The people work together and, yeah. and they and they collaborate. And and the in my mind, the whole idea is, you know, high tides, rising tides for all boats. So Got that's what you noticed since 2013. That was the question, well, right? Well, since 2016. Oh, 16. There's less of that. Well, I think part of it's just so many people and so much congestion that that's made people a little more, edgy. you know, edgy and and angry. And and one the way I looked at it. When I first got here, was I believe one of the things that made the culture and the people so great was all the trees in the water and the space feels abundant, and probably now with all the congestion, it doesn't feel so abundant, which makes you feel a little more like a rat in a cage and can kind of get a little more of that, you know, Seattle or I'm sorry, San Francisco or New Yorky kind of edge just because. There's not a lot of space. And now, Red, you've been here your whole life, third generation. You said, yeah. Um, did you also probably never called it the dolphin tank, but uh... <laughs> we can drop it, aren't we? So cons- consensus is the dolphin tank probably yeah, not yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, maybe it is. Uh, but the uh, salmon sanctuary. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, did you also notice a collaborative spirit here in Seattle? And are you seeing any changes in that? Yeah. So just just for the record, I did leave. I did my rumspringer from Seattle. I took some time to live in Israel for a year and uh, New York for about six or seven years. Uh, you know, for college, for education and post-college uh, work. But uh, in my time in Seattle before I left, as well as after I came back, two different experiences. Right Before I left Seattle, people didn't know what Seattle was, especially when you visited, you know, large cities like the East Coast or LA. We didn't have a theme. You know, it was, it was um, that's where they throw the salmon, right? Or you, it rains a lot in Seattle. I mean, historically, it rains more in New York and in Hawaii than it does in Seattle, which is always annoying me, the facts, right? Let's look at the data. But, um, as far as my experience in the last 10 years, as well as the, the, the hockey stick effect in the last three years, uh, this is not a city that is referred to as an arts and culture city anymore. At least when people look at it, they see Amazon, they see Boeing, they see Microsoft, and they're impressed by our technology. They're impressed by the growth of the infrastructure. And, and to be fair, like you know, the circles you run in, in almost every category, there's a huge lift in Seattle. If you're in real estate, there's a lift. If you're in tech, there's a lift. If you're in aerospace engineering, there's a lift. There's a lot of money uh, and growth in this in this city. But as a result of that growth, um, you're seeing less investments from even the city council in things like film, arts, and culture. It's left up to the people. Um, and I, I, I don't want to feel like I'm to blame, but when I started in Seattle in 2011, I started a company. Um, I was working with GeekWire, and you know we, the whole focus was to bring more eyes onto GeekWire and to the geek community. And in that time, there was this uh, community, uh, cultural, economic initiative to bring more films to, to the city of Seattle. I can't remember the name of the individual who ran it, but it was actually the head budget, right? Let's not let him get to Vancouver. Let's bring him to Seattle to, to bring, you know, uh, Grey's Anatomy as an example. Um, I mean, that's how most of my New York friends knew me. It's like, oh, you, you, you work in the area where Grey is. I'm like, that's, that's a... By the way, it's not where they actually work. It's a film set, but um, the it's a Como Four, right? They would shoot the, the scenes in right. the stairways and then Como Four on the roof with the helicopter. But that wasn't a hospital. Uh, and what happened was uh, when when I built up my company after GeekWire Startup Seattle, that was acquired by the city and replaced the film and music industry economic initiative. Replaced it. The city council basically decided. Uh, that it would be more worth their money to spend time getting um, the community around tech so people of low uh, income, people of color, people of every walk of life could get involved in Seattle's booming tech economy rather than trying to say, let's make this uh, a city that across the board categorically is an amazing city. I think we've left that piece behind so this is not at all where I expected a conversation to go with the two people behind New Tech Seattle, <laughs> yeah. uh, which has become New Tech Northwest, saying that maybe tech has too much of a mind share here in Seattle. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I think that that's, I mean, if you edited the, this talk to say that, it could sound like that. I mean, that's the beauty of, you know, post-production magic. 
But what we are saying is that's the shift we've noticed. Whether or not it's the right thing is a different question, right? Um, I think the booming tech community offer, offers an incredible opportunity where we have to do arts the way we used to do back in the old day, right? Commission, right? These offices, you've heard the story where the, they painted a wall and gave 1% of Facebook to the person who created that mural. And now the person's a millionaire, if not billionaire. Same thing should be happening in the city. We should be taking our money and reinvesting it back in the arts community and, and reinvesting it back in culture. And that's not happening at the level it should. The last podcast we did was all about that, is taking the money from the fruits of the capitalistic labor and putting it back into the thing that makes us human. Um, and that's, that's what I was trying to go for with the theme, is it's just the money's going to a different place, but that money can come right back. All okay. it takes is the effort. And so we're here uh, as part of season six of Seattle Growth Podcast looking at how do people find or build community in a dynamic city? So you've got so many people moving in who have mm -hmm. no roots here, and then you've got people who have roots here but are seeing the buildings, the businesses, and the people that they knew kind of change uh, with all this growth. So I want to talk about New Tech Seattle. What is this community that you've built? And then I want to – that's my first question, and then we'll eventually we'll get to go back to how you – got those first few people and then built it into New Tech Northwest. Um, so what, what was New Tech Seattle? What was the vision originally? What, what were you trying to do to help build community? The original vision was, which is still kind of the heart of what we do, is that there's a lot of great innovation. And let me just back up for one second. Like, So what drew me to this my, my background is marketing, branding, and I have a master's degree in psychology. So I'm not a tech guy. I'm a people guy. That's why you're always hugging me. I, yeah. just, I, yeah. <laughs> I cry every time. It's just because you're cute. Um, so when I, I happened to be in Boulder, Colorado, when the quote unquote startup thing started before they were even calling it that, and that's where Techstar started and um, Foundry Group, which is venture capitalist arm with Brad Feld and other people that were kind of an epicenter. And back then, my understanding, which again, could be limited, is really San Francisco and Boston and Boulder and maybe a couple other places. Seattle had tech going on, but it wasn't a big thing. It was just starting to kind of bubble. But because of Techstars and Foundry Group, they and because Boulder is, you know, 100,000 people, it, it incubated. It was a city of incubation. And so I was around that when it happened. And as I mentioned, my, I started out in actually a community radio station like this in the late 80s around punk rock. And I'm, I'm you know, a punk rock new wave kid. So that was all about do it yourself and go build community. And everybody was welcome. And that's what I saw with the startup scene. When, the, when startups happened, what I loved about the music community was happening around innovation. And it was, you know, these people who could figure it out when they wrote code, they could throw up a website, they could throw up whatever. And in their mind, they were going to go make the world a better place. And they could go do these cool things. And they woke up and they had to do it. They weren't doing it because they wanted to get rich, or even they thought they get rich. Um, they just had to do that. And so being around that passion was amazing. And that was the first time I'd felt that since I had left community radio. And so that was the spark. And that's still what I love and what I see as, as a, an opportunity with the tech community is that there are some really good people who want to do some really good things and they're doing innovative things and they're motivated, they're self-motivated to go create that and do it together. And in general, if you show up and you're into it and you've got some good ideas, you're welcome. And, and people are there to help each other out. I feel Which like I really should amazing. be like dancing in circles with flowers on my yeah. head. It's like <laughs> it's very hippie approach. I, I'm gonna have to take a more uh, direct approach. Um, too many people were coming to Seattle, joining Microsoft and Amazon, and they were being heavily recruited around the world to join the city and create traffic and all the negative things you might associate with growth. But the positive things were these people were equally capable of leaving the Microsoft and Amazons with their quote unquote Amazon MBA and say, "Hey, I know what it takes to, to create scale and start a company." And they needed a place to start. Who should I meet, right? They didn't have the network they needed at these companies. And the startup community was insular. So there was a point where you needed to create connections. And a lot of times you had a limited number of groups and events that were somewhat narrow-focused, right? You had a venture pitch meetup. 
with only half an hour to, of, of time to network. Uh, you had Koretsu Forum. You, you had some forums you had to pay to even get in. Uh, and then you have the Northwest Entrepreneur Network. But everything sounded, like you said, is all so fluffy and mission-driven, and they have boards and, and you know people controlling the That was crazy. I mean, two guys got together and said, let's be scrappy and put a bunch of people in a room and see what happens. And we've been doing it for six and a half years later. Right. And it's, it's the same thing that we started at the beginning. Every single month, you can tell a friend, hey, there's a place for you if you're interested in joining the tech community. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be happening. And you can't manufacture the level of serendipity like you can at new tech. There's just no way to replicate it. It's 90% just showing up. So the, the, the general idea was to be an umbrella for all the silos. And the silo is just people are busy working on what they're working on. So we give people an opportunity. We don't expect people to come every month. Somebody comes two or three times a year, they're a regular. People are busy. They've got travel. They've got families. They've got all sorts of things going on. We do have the regulars that show up every month for the open bar. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, we do have that. Um, (laughs) So for the listeners, it was really just to bring people together. Uh, It's beer and wine. Let's be clear. We're not here to get you wasted. We're here just to open the conversation up for those who might need some social juice. So walk me through what the first actions you took. Uh, So Brett came to you and said, "Let's let's do this." What are the first actions you took to get from one person in the room, two people in the room, five people in the room? Ooh, we didn't we didn't do that. Yeah. So the whole <laughs> idea when when we first talked, as I said earlier, was I had an idea of what to do. He knew the people. And so the idea was, okay, well, as he said, we didn't create the ecosystem. The ecosystem was there. We wanted to pump up the ecosystem and you know create more impact. So we looked at which organizations were already in existence trying to help the startup community. And we went to them and told them what we were going to do. Yep. Um, we we were, again, they were collaborative, but we were also confident because we could show them a website of um, Boulder New Tech. We could show them a New York Tech Meetup and say, look, these things have been going on for years. This is what happens when they put 400 people in a room. We think we can do this. We'd like to do this. We think you'd probably like something like this in the community if you're willing to help us out by sending an email out to your list to let them know we're going to do this, then if you want a table or something like that, whatever it is, you know, we'll, we'll help you out. And, um, so we went to places like Madrona and, um, WTIA, WTIA. and when may rest in peace, you know, yeah. pieces. And so we, we went to places like that where we got them. We did it really quick actually, because I moved here in October. I needed to kind of get settled <laughs> And in January, we set the February date. And in January, we went to these places and said, hey, we're doing this in February. Would you send an email out and, you know, we'll see what happens. And our first event, we had 250 people. We had five sponsors. Oh, wow. Um, Our second month, we had 350 people. And the, you know, today is going to be our seventh annual event at UW. Which when we went to Madrona, because um, Red knew them very well, they were very generous. And do you want to talk about how that happened? Well, I mean, I, I, let's focus on the specifics just because whoever's listening in, I don't want to kind of drown out the fact that we just – it was perfect timing, right? We didn't, we didn't need to partner with anybody to make it happen. It was, it was, there was an oil field of interest. We just needed to tap into it. Um, we started putting it up on Meetup. That was a big play. Anyone who's listening, if you're thinking about tools to get your own com- company started, meetup started, meetup. Is that, is, is that easy? We're the, we get the record for the fastest growing meetup because we took an existing platform and applied it to a, a rich, rich community. Um, that's not rare. Usually you go on meetup and there's too many events competing. We were the only one that did this on meetup in Seattle. So it was amazing. We put up a meetup and everyone just signed up and I had lists, right? Remember, I, my last company sold, so I already had thousands of people that recognized the Startup Seattle brand. So all we had to do was... Well, you still had Startup Seattle at that point. Yeah. You had not sold it oh, to yeah, the city yeah. yet. You sold it like a year later. So there you go. I already had material. Yeah. Microsoft was funding me at the time also to just like, you know, give me time and resources to support this. Um, but it, it was easy. I mean, it, I hate to say it, but like it was really easy. I give, I give but credit that, but to that, Seattle. But that's you know? the... So you so in your mind, this kind of sounds like overnight success. So this is how people, they always say there's no such thing as overnight success. Red already had Startup Seattle. Red was, um, I believe, running Startup Digest for Seattle. Yep. Red, like I said, when I was introduced to him, I talked to him. The guy said, "These, he's one of the two people to talk to. 
he already had credibility. He already had relationships built. He already had investment in the community. And so that was a foundation that was leveraged for us to be able to start it out that way. Give me one or two lessons that somebody who's feeling lost in the city and wants to build a community. Um, tell me one or two lessons that you've learned from building and growing new tech to what it is that they could use, maybe whether it's for knitting or crochet or <laughs> anything. But what, what are some general takeaways from your building new tech? Yeah, if I were to write a book on how to start your own community, I, would, I wouldn't bother. I'd create a pamphlet. It'd be very short. One, go on Meetup, see what other people are doing. It's already a pre-existing platform with its own distribution. Um, secondly, I would absolutely say don't focus on the numbers. Focus on the right people, right? If you're going to start building a community, you need to know who your community is for and why. So the first Meetup is not about Anything more than getting 10 people in a room and saying, so you come back next month? And if they do, bring a friend and start there. If you're, again, if you're trying to create a knitting meetup, it's not about a couple hundred people. I, I would love to go to that, by the way. The sound <laughs> in the room when they all start knitting and no one's talking could be completely hypnotic. But um, it's like bingo, but just with knitting. I don't know. But I, I would say that's the top two things is, is use an existing platform for distribution and don't focus on the numbers. Focus on the people. Focus on the why. And speaking of the why, uh, let's talk about what are the feelings you've had seeing you, you have this idea and it just takes off. And again, it was New Tech Seattle. Now it's New Tech Northwest, uh, bringing so many people together in the tech community. How do you feel accomplishing that, building that together? Together is the right question. Yeah, I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Like it, The red and green combination you know it's christmas all year round six years in a row and that's come from the guy who does hanukkah so uh you know it was it was incredible wait and, you're jewish yeah, please please uh god you should have seen me with my jew fro in the back in the day um i will say this much uh, it's bittersweet because this is actually my last new tech um as a co-organizer with him on the ground floor um we we've been done we've done this for so long together and it wouldn't have happened if we didn't do it the way we did. Um, yeah, it's bittersweet because it's weird. You're doing a podcast wearing UW gear. The night we're doing our, was this the sixth one? Seventh. Seventh inaugural UW show. And uh, it's. I think it's going to be a great opportunity to see where it goes from here in terms of the fact that it's sustainable, it's scalable, it's meeting a need. And that need is no longer for me to stand on stage and fill the ego. It's it, granted, it was awesome. But fun. you're still gonna come back for the UW events. And stuff. Oh yeah, I'll come back. But it's different now. It's yeah. it's the community is real. It's got its foundation and it has its leader. Uh, without green behind the scenes, people don't even appreciate it. It's Oz. I mean, literally, you're green. It's you're 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 the guy behind the curtain, and and not enough recognition goes to the logistics that have to go into place, and also the debt potential. You don't always know how you're going to pay for it, but Brett has never, ever compromised. Never missed a month. If, if, unless it was, a, you know, what was it, Carmageddon, where people couldn't no, physically no, no, even no, no, get no. in. We, we moved We moved two weeks later. We still did it that <laughs> month. So there's no oh, compromise yeah. with us. We're here for the community. But uh, hopefully that addresses part of the question. Yeah, and how have you felt? Um, I'm this? just grateful. I, I get to do what I love, and I get, you know, a lot of fulfillment from – hearing stories from people uh, all the time of they met somebody who they hired, they met somebody they started a company with. Um, the, the, like Red was saying, there there really is, you know, the old Woody Allen quoted 80% or whatever of, you know, it's just showing up. I believe it's actually 90 at this point because luckily serendipity, the universe, whatever other hippie thing I can come up with, oh, come on, <laughs> um, makes it just happen when people are in the room. And so and maybe that doesn't happen for everybody, but it happens for enough people. And we also have very intentionally structured the format to be community oriented. So it isn't just an event where you're looking at strangers and you're watching somebody on stage. You know, we've, we've woven community into what happens at the event from day one. And people know that. And they can't get that anywhere else besides maybe, you know, church or synagogue or someplace like that. But to just come to a place where people are, you know, it feels more like a neighborhood and people are welcoming and you're learning about, we're celebrating all the cool things that the companies here are creating and hopefully ins they're inspiring other people to do things. And 
behind all of it, it's about activating the community to help each other. This isn't about what I do. This isn't about what he does. No matter how big our networks might be, they're still limited. And what we do is create a container and a place every month for people to come meet like-minded people and be themselves. Be themselves, share themselves, ask what are you up to and how can I help? And um, good things happen. All right. So just a quick plug before we uh, get to concluding thoughts, a quick plug if somebody's intrigued by New Tech Northwest, um, who should who should participate and how? Oh, come on now. <laughs> this is your business now. It's your baby. Uh, first of all, Google New Tech Northwest. There's no question you can find it. Um, I would say don't rely on the internet. Get out to an event. Find the next one. Commit and go. And don't let rain stop you, right? There's, this isn't rain, people. Right? It's a light mist. <laughs> So get on out there and uh, say hi to Brett. That's the big one. There, there's never a moment where the organizers are too busy. They're here for you. Find them and say, I need help finding X person, and then walk away. And Brett will find that person for you. And if they can't, we'll follow up. I mean, that's the whole goal is uh, just take advantage of us. We're here for you. Yeah. All right. Concluding thoughts? All right. My, my concluding thought is more, more so on two uh, – Two regards. First of all, thank you, Green, for making uh, the past six and a half, seven years of uh, what this event has become very, not just enjoyable for me, but impactful to something I could look back and say I made a difference. I couldn't have done it without you. Uh, and uh, more so, thank you to my wife, who may never listen to this, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the amount of times and hours I've spent away from her with Green. Uh, where I could have been there, life events with the kids and stuff like that. I never compromised, and I was always there for New Tech, and I, I, I owe her a lot of thanks over everyone else in the community. She she was the rock that really uh, gave me the opportunity to stand up and say, I'm going to do this for the community. So, Yeah, I got goosebumps. Yeah. I don't know how you could top that. <laughs> uh, I Just by reiterating it, I mean, my wife and his wife have been very, you know, supportive and, and tolerant of it, and, you know, it's... I don't think either one of them signed on for people who go out at night to do events um, after working all day. Um, so, yeah, they've been great. The community's great. And I don't know. I mean, it's thank you for even you know thinking of us for what you're doing and um, acknowledging what we do. It's just it, we're just lucky that we get to do this. Don't think about what the community can do for you. <laughs> think about what you can do for the community. Be a leader and uh, come say hi to us if you see us. Red, Brett, red and green. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your time and perspective. I appreciate it. All right, thank thank you. you. Brett and Red both spoke of channeling the economic growth to invest in the arts. One artist who has found a way to channel real estate development to provide economic opportunity to artists is my next guest, Jane Richlovsky. Before we get to this interview, pause this podcast and get on www.onthebrinkmovie.com and get your tickets to the red carpet premiere of On the Brink, which takes place on Sunday, June 9th. The memorable evening is being organized by UW's Foster School of Business and Langston, Seattle. They are bringing together business leaders, community leaders, and city leaders. When else will you get a chance to enjoy a great film alongside NBA Hall of Famer Lenny Wilkins? Sonic's legend Slick Watts, elected officials from the city, county, and state, and incredible musicians such as Cola Malik, The Black Tones, and Robbie Hill. We have an amazing set of people planning on coming to the red carpet premiere, and I'd love to see you there. Go to www.onthebrinkmovie.com and click on screenings to get tickets. Now, join me as I sit down with Jane Richlowski. I am here with Jane Richlovsky, uh, a noted artist and founder of 57 Biscayne and Good Arts Building. Jane, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to get into both of those and how the community you've built around mm-hmm. them. Uh, but first, tell me about what brought you to Seattle. Um, I came in 91, and I had lived in the Midwest um, my childhood in Ohio and then my young adult life in Chicago, and I was just ready to be somewhere different. And I actually had a number of friends here at a time when Seattle was kind of small. And it, I, so a lot, in a lot of ways, community actually brought me here. Um, and what year yeah. was that? A uh, 91. Okay. Yeah. So 91, uh, mm-hmm. the city has changed dramatically since mm-hmm. then. What has been 
most striking to you about the changes in this city? Well, when you're an old fogey, it's hard to tell the difference between what's changed in your city and what's just changed in the world. But I would say um, in some ways it's like uh, it's not in denial that it's a big city anymore. And I think that's actually kind of a good thing. Um, but you can still find nooks of of community. Um, I've found it's more neighborhood the, my community is more neighborhood focused than it was before because I've because I now live in Pioneer Squ- and work in Pioneer Square. Um, I think that I I like to think that there's still some of the improvisation of just like let's put on a zine kind of feeling um, going on. There's it's less it's way less obvious. There's a lot more people who come here for high paying jobs, and we all came here just for the heck of it. We talked mm-hmm. about the Good Arts Building back in 2016 in a mm-hmm. special episode of Seattle Growth Podcast called The Artist and the Developer. Mm-hmm. I'd encourage listeners to go back uh, if they wanted to hear that story about how it came together. Uh, but in case they don't go back and listen, sure. what is the Good Arts Building and what is, and what is 57 Biscayne and how does that fit into the Good Arts Building? Uh, th- so the Good Arts Building is um, the building at First and Cherry that I had started my studios in prior to it becoming the Good Arts Building. And um, I wanted uh, to have a way to stay in the neighborhood and it was when it was getting more expensive and I knew the landlord wanted to sell and it was that was the Good Arts Building was me getting together with um, Ali Gombari who owns Cherry Street Coffee and Greg Smith who's a prominent developer um, really unlikely partners um, Greg and I more, more than Molly and I but they were partners as well and we all um, and my partner bought the building together and uh, with the f- only the intention of keeping it affordable for creatives and continuing having just um, a way in which the businesses in the neighborhood like the restaurants and the um, the artists could support one another and actually help each other economically rather than artists being displaced for something else. And now it's a building, Mm -hmm. but it's more than that. It's It's a community. It is totally a community. And so 57 Biscayne is actually, I started first. Um, That came out of the demise of another community. Um, So I had been, I had had an art studio at the old Western building on uh, 619 Western in Pioneer Square for, that had been a, a kind of really improvisatory arts community for 30 years. And I had a studio in there for 10 years and we had to, um, it was totally falling apart and we had to leave um, because the they were gonna tunnel underneath it and it was um, gonna fall over. So the I used my Department of Transportation funds from the tunnel to, um, and got several other artists from there to pool our resources and we started studios on in this building that happened to have a vacant second floor that was this beautiful building at First and Cherry. Um, we went from this kind of falling apart thing to actually taking over some former corporate offices. And um, we realized in the process that community was actually the, the other community had been kind of accidental, and this community was much more intentional. And we all realized that, like, oh, we want to be artists in a community. Um, we, you know, anybody could work, could make a spare room at home. And it, when it was cheap to have studios, then people who had studios just kind of, they didn't really have to want it that much. Um, these were going to be a little pricier but nicer, and we could have... A better presence so we were like oh if we actually band together in community we can share information share business um, um, marketing share have shows together and do all these things on purpose that used to happen accidentally um, and so why yeah. did you choose to lead in building this community um, you know you could have just kind of followed and let somebody else take the burden of bringing everybody together around a shared vision and why did you lead instead of just following honestly no one else was doing it (laughs) probably the answer most of the time to those things is like i think it was kind of my spirit of 90s seattle of like oh you don't like your magazine write it make your own zine um that's what um it was just this feeling of like, well, you know, if this, I remember actually having this moment because we'd had all these meetings. There was several leaseholders there. So I have one of one of one of like eight leaseholders. And I t- talked about partnering with different people to lead it. And at one point I was like, oh, my God, it's this is not going to happen unless I do it. It's entirely on me. I just remember that moment. I had that realization. And it was actually really freeing because I stopped trying to wrangle somebody 
to do it with me, but just had people come into a project that I was already doing. And yeah. so walk me through, so you, <laughs> I, I know you said you had a, somewhat of a community that happened by accident yeah. almost yeah. in the cheap space. Uh-huh. How did you go about getting those first few people on board uh, to 57 yeah. Biscayne, I guess is, yeah. that was the first iteration of this community being built. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I had all I had sort of reached out to all my own tenant, my own sub-tenants over there, which is like 20 people. Um, and it was, a lot of it was actually just kind of like other people falling off. Um, so some of them actually did their own thing somewhere else, and which was great. There was a lot of thing, a lot of in t- smaller intentional communities came out of that same, um, that same um, upheaval. Um, how did I, I just, um, I think that I was really clear on my vision and the people who, they sort of self-selected. And it wasn't until I was actually, we were up and running, because we had to do it in like six weeks. And I just needed to make it pencil out on paper and like actually not go broke in the process. So once we were kind of all in the, you know, once we were in, and I realized like, oh, the people who most wanted it are the ones who showed up, and then they're the ones who actually contributed. It was when we were all, you know, we had we had pulled out the ugly carpet in this building, and um, but oh, there was all this hardware in the floor. Um, and so um, b- a bunch of us, you know, whenever somebody had time, they was, we just had a bunch of tools out. We pulled hardware out of the floor ourselves, and including one person who was not even at the 619 Western. I found her on Craigslist. She didn't even need to do it. She was just like, this is awesome. I want to be a part of this. And so yeah. what was this vision that you rallied everybody <laughs> yeah. around? I was just sort of like, hey, let's stay in the neighborhood and like start studios in this really cool building and also use our money that we were getting from the DOT. So so some other people who had were officially businesses also had relocation money. And I kind of coordinated all the construction so that we could pool our resources and um and make their, you know, do the construction all at once, but bill it separately. It was a total nightmare. That was, a lot of it involved spreadsheets, honestly. Like, that was my big vision. Okay. Um, <laughs> the the, the yeah. business school students of mine are very thankful yeah. that, yes, spreadsheets matter. Um, so, uh, just to recap, you were in on Western, in, mm-hmm. uh, and then because of a construction project the yes. Department of Transportation gave you some money mm-hmm. to get out. To get out, And yes. you had to go, yeah. and you started from there to 57 Biscayne. Mm-hmm. Now you ha- now have the whole building. Um, pretty much, yeah. So I'm still, I kept, you know, the studios the way they were at first, um, and I'm, I now own the whole building with three other people. Yep. Um, and uh, p- basically my partner Steve and I are the kind of the arts the arts gurus of it you know the other two people are like you guys do your thing um and so when the third floor tenant moved out um we built we we put in 13 more studios and an airbnb um to help subsidize it and so now tell me about the member how many people are involved (laughs) in the good arts building arts community Mm -hmm. and how do you what are the community activities? What brings you together? Um, okay, so there's 28 studios which have w- anywhere from one to three people in them upstairs. So there's like 30 some artists. Um, there are um, there's a small re- there are two small retailers downstairs. There's a tailor, a master tailor, and a, um, a vintage menswear store. Um, and then there's another art studio kind of squeezed in with them because we just put artists wherever we could fit things. It's a really, the building is kind of has weird nooks and crannies. So we're just like, we're using all available space. Um, there is Cherry Street Coffee House, um, which is their new, their beautiful anchor location. And um, I curate the art, the gallery, the Good Arts Gallery is the art is the art that's in there in one part of that. Um, and then there's a bar called Bad Bishop Bar that um, just moved in um, around the corner. So it's, it's kind of eclectic. So the most, uh, so this, Next first Thursday, June sixth, we're having an open house. Um, the studio it usually up at the studios. We initiate the open houses because it's Art Walk, and we've been doing Art Walk for a long time. Um, we do it like twice a year, um, and then we let the other businesses know. And so we all kind of um, we there's a lot there's a couple little back stairways and stuff. So we try to open all the parts of the building up together and people can go to the bar you know it helps the bar to be open on first thursday the the men's room store the men's store shows um she shows art too um and so it's kind of this weird nooks and crannies all crawling with art uh, so yeah. you've got nooks and crannies crawling with art uh all started with a what am i going to do moment yes uh, that you were kicked out of your yep. artist space 
How have you felt seeing the fruits of your work, seeing this community come together, mm -hmm. artists having a space in Pioneer Square, and also getting to know each other and the businesses that are connected to it? Um, it's been great. It's, it's really been great to see people step up. Um, you know, because I have, now that we've expanded, I have all of these tenants who were not Part, who don't have any memory of the la of the 619 Western Building, um, and you know some of them knew about it, some of them didn't. Um, but uh, they they still, I think they're coming from a different place, but they still are getting that it's a super valuable uh, thing to have a community of artists that help each other out. Um, it's been great, also outside of it too, that I have. There's other artists who call me to say, hey. I want to either start one or preserve the one I have. Um, in fact, somebody else, a friend from the 619 Western Building who had also started studios, um, their building's up for sale. And um, he's like, hey, instead of saying, and this is so normally, this is what I feel like the fruits of my labor, is that normally um, I used to always have to hear artists whine about that and be like, oh, that's it, it's over, and be really super duper fatalistic. And um, this time he's like, Hey, so oh, we were getting together. We're we, we're going to start an LLC, and we want to figure out how to find a developer like you did, and see if somebody wants to buy the building. And that is the fruits of my labor. Wow. I'm like, yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to buy a building in between Soto and Georgetown on Airport Way, there's it's it's a good deal, and it's already got an awesome artist community in it. So give me a call. <laughs> and, and so it's uh, this is kind of tangential to uh, building the community, but. Why on earth would a developer work with artists instead of maybe <laughs> fancy condos or, um, you know, farms yeah. now is what's happening in, in Georgetown? Well, the short answer is fun. Um, the second, the, the longer answer is that um, it's, uh, he's a, Greg is a developer who is like super invested in the community. You know, he's from here. His family's been work, working on buildings in this, for generations in this, um, in the city. And um, he understood the character of Pioneer Square and the character and the value of his other buildings in a lot of ways depended on an urban a vital urban environment and if you you know don't have a vital if all of the small businesses including artists get priced out and all you have are chain stores then in some ways your other stuff is just not as valuable um, and that you know that I think he recognized that um, and he also has also is like, well, what's good at having all these buildings if you don't have a community there to enjoy them? And um, a, lot of, a lot of that is Ali kind of being um, such an anchor in the neighborhood and bringing everybody together from all different, all different backgrounds. Yeah. And so if somebody is, is feeling lost in this dynamic city, either mm -hmm. because they're new here or because they've seen their friends and businesses kind of yeah. vanish, um, what have you learned from starting and growing and nurturing this community that you could share? You know, maybe it's not an artist, but maybe mm -hmm. it's somebody else looking to start a community here. What have you learned that, that could help them? Um, I think that if they're thinking, I want to start a community, I want to make a community, they're like 90% there. Um, because if, like, as long as you know that community is something you do and not something that you receive or is there already waiting for you to step into, um, I think you're like on the right track. <laughs> um, I would say my biggest thing would be to be open to partnering with people you would not expect to. Um, talk to everybody about your vision, even if they don't, you don't think that they would be interested in it, because you'd never know. Um, you know, I found, I made the Good Arts Building happen because as soon as the ink was dry on my lease of 57 Biscayne, I got on every neighborhood board, every panel discussion, I every single freaking interview and panel thing that I could get on, and talked and met um, a woman from the Alliance for Pioneer Squares introduced me to like realtor after realtor after realtor until one of them stuck. And so just talk to everybody because that's how the word gets out and you will find your people and they'll find you. And I want to give you a chance to plug uh, <laughs> if an artist sure. is listening. Yes. What would you like them to know? Um, you can do this. I did it. I, you know, I'm not, I'm no expert. I completely made things up and pulled them out of who knows where. Um, <laughs> so do it, trust your instincts and um, talk to people other than artists. 
Uh, anything you'd want them to know about the Good Arts Building? Or are um, you at capacity? Or do you not need artists? We are at capacity, like, all the time. But that doesn't mean there's not some turnover. So something could work out. Um, we also have a lot of guest artists that show at our um, twice annual shows. So um, including the one that's coming up is 100 Works of Art for under $100. So come join. You know, you can always be an adjunct member of the community and be a part of it. So if somebody yep. wants to get involved in the good uh -huh. arts community, yep. even though if they can't get space, uh -huh. how, how would they go about doing that? Um, contact me through the website. Okay. Yep. Good arts. Uh, what? No, 57biscayne.com. 57biscayne.com. And those are numbers. Fifty-five-seven-biscayne.com. Five, yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, if somebody's listening and they're excited about art, but mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. not ref don't feel refined enough <laughs> to, you know, feel like they yeah. are these art connoisseurs. What are some ways that they could help you or help uh -huh. the artist community um, in a non... You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. art can be uh, almost... Elitist, um, intimidating. Intimidating. Intimidating, yeah. For. Well, we're pretty darn approachable. So I think that we'd probably be a good place to start because um, we have our, you know, our, our 100 on our 100 show has you know, art by a nine-year-old and a 95-year-old in it and has um, people who have fancy galleries and people who don't. It's just like we're all over the map and we're pretty darn approachable, I'd say. And so, so to approach, they would just show up at one of your um, art walks? Come to our open house on June, on June 6th and uh, we'll... We'll be nice. Okay. <laughs> we'll show you around. And we are actually open during the day for you to look at the art on the walls as well. Um, we're totally open to that. Where is, where is the Good Arts Building? Uh, the Good Arts Building is at the first corner of First and Cherry. The studios are at 110 Cherry. Um, the other businesses are at 108 Cherry. There's a tour, uh, Beneath the Streets tour in the basement. Uh, Coffee House is at the co very corner at 700 First, and the bar is on First. This season <laughs> is all about uh, finding community in a dynamic city. And one way you've talked mm -hmm. about it is you've built this good arts uh, community, the 57 Biscayne. Um, any concluding thoughts on the topic or on, um, on your experiences? Just work with what you got. You got to work with what you got and who you got. Rather than holding, a, you know, than being nostalgic for some, you know, like I could possibly, you know, I could be and I'm not nostalgic for, oh, those freewheeling times at the 619 Western. They were so great. We were paying like 60 cents a square foot and it was so crazy. Um, rather than being nostalgic, be like, okay, this is what we got instead. And there's advantages to that as well. So actually observe and look around you and see what the opportunities are. Jane? Thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you again. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Now I want to hear from you. How are you building or finding community in this dynamic city? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman, to let me know. Or come tell me in person at the red carpet premiere of On the Brink on Sunday, June 9th at the historic Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute. Head to www.onthebrinkmovie.com to get tickets. Next week, we again hear about community from the tech perspective and from the arts perspective. I sit down with Farah Abdallah, who shares a story of co-founding Seattle's chapter of Women in Product. And I also sit down with Kevin Sir, who founded the famously popular Timber Outdoor Music Festival, and who also helps other musicians through his work on Artist Home. Before we close out this episode, I want to thank Pamela Burton for her help with the audio and Ed Cromer for his work on the UW Foster School of Business blog. I also want to acknowledge the lovely voice you heard at the introduction to this episode. That was the voice of Naomi Washira, a musician who appeared on season four of Seattle Growth Podcast, which explored the past, present, and future of Seattle's music scene. I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the sixth season of Seattle Growth Podcast.